Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast. My name is Heather Tesco. And I'm your host for this journey back in time to 16th century England. In my last episode, I gave a very basic background on the history of the Renaissance as a movement within Europe. I hope it was beneficial in laying the groundwork for our understanding of what life was like for the average person living in the 1500s. I said that this week I would be focusing more on the history of the Tudors as a dynasty and the stability they brought to England after several generations of civil wars and violent transitions of power. But I'm going to switch things up a little bit and save part one, of many I'm sure, of the Tudors for next time. I've decided to alternate episodes on facts and figures with ones focusing on different aspects of what life was like in Renaissance England. This week is all about fun and games, especially cricket. I thought to do an episode on cricket because I've been watching the Ashes on Sky Sports. For those of you who don't know, The Ashes is a cricket series between England and Australia held every two years. It extends over five test matches, and each test match lasts five days. So it's 25 days of cricket, and my husband can't get enough of it. I've always known that cricket is a very old game. The Ashes themselves as a series date back well over 130 years. But I didn't know that the origins of cricket go way back to early medieval times, and it was a children's game for most of its early history. Henry VIII himself may have played it as a child. There is a bit of evidence that Edward II played it, and that was in the early 14th century. For those of you who aren't up on the rules of cricket, very simply explained, there is a bowler, equivalent to a pitcher in baseball, and a batter. Behind the batter are the stumps. The bowler attempts to hit the stumps with the ball, and the batter tries to bat the ball away and protect the stumps. If the ball hits the stumps, this is called a wicket, and the batter is out. When the batter does hit the ball, he runs back and forth between the length of the field scoring runs. The real juice, though, aren't the runs, but the wickets. That's where all the excitement comes from. Cricket first began in the area around present-day Sussex and Kent, counties south of London, with lush green grass where sheep would graze, keeping the grasses short, and stones, wood, or even balls of wool could be easily bounced and played with. There are records dating back as early as the 1300s that reference children and shepherds playing a game in which one would defend a wicket gate, 
which was the gate to enter the pasture, by batting away an object being thrown by the other player. In 1598 records, the sport was called cricket, which may come from the Old English word crick, meaning a staff or a crutch. According to Heiner Gilmeister, a European language expert of Bonn University, cricket actually derives from the Middle Dutch phrase for hockey, met de cricket sen, which translates to with the stick chase, which suggests a Dutch influence in the origin of the game. It is more likely that the terminology of cricket was based on words in use in southeast England at the time, and given trade connections with Flanders, especially in the 15th century when it belonged to the Duke of Burgundy, many Middle Dutch words would have found their way into southern English dialects. There is a great and delectable mystery over whether Edward II actually played cricket in the early 14th century. On Thursday, the 10th of March, 1300, the accounts of King Edward I include payments to a John de Leek, repaying money that he had paid out to enable Prince Edward to play Krieg and other games at both Westminster and Newenden. Prince Edward, the future Prince of Wales, was then 15 years old. It has been suggested that Krieg was an early form of cricket. There's not much evidence to support this, and Krieg could have been something very different. It has been plausibly suggested that Krieg is an early spelling of the Gaelic word crake that has developed into modern English as crack and means simply fun, enjoyment, abandonment, or light-hearted mischief, often in the context of drinking or music. Part of the mystery is in the wording. If Krieg simply meant fun, enjoyment, abandonment, etc., would it be something that Prince Edward would have played? It seems to me that it must be some type of sport, but it remains a mystery. Despite many prior suggested references, the first definite reference of the game is found in a 1598 court case centered around a dispute over the Royal Grammar School in Guildford's ownership of a plot of land. A 59-year-old coroner named John Derrick testified that he and his school friends had played cricket on the site 50 years earlier. Mr. Derrick's account proves beyond reasonable doubt that the game was definitely being played in Surrey around 1550. The first reference to it being played as an adult sport was in 1611, when two men in Sussex were prosecuted for playing cricket on a Sunday instead of going to church. In the same year, a dictionary defines cricket as a boy's game, and this suggests that adult participation was a recent development. There is later evidence showing that Oliver Cromwell, who would rule England during the Civil War of the mid-17th century, had played it as a boy in the very early 1600s. So, children were batting and bowling and playing early cricket types of games during the Renaissance, which would lead to today's cricket rules that are followed by over a hundred countries. But what else did people do for fun in the 16th century? Well, during the medieval period, organized athletics, as they had been enjoyed by the Greeks and the Romans, all but disappeared. Most types of sports and games were practice and preparation for eventual battle. Men and boys spent much of their free time on practice fields, perfecting battle skills like wrestling and hand-to-hand -hand combat, swordsmanship, and horsemanship. 
The armor was very heavy and meant that men needed to be in excellent shape to survive and thrive in battle. Queen Elizabeth I and most nobles loved to hunt. Not only was it active and allowed for long rides through the countryside, but there was a great social element to it as well. The wealthy nobles would show off their fine horses, hawks, clothing, and weapons. Horses were shown off by their breeding and ranked by endurance, speed, beauty, and strength. Hawking, or falconry, was also practiced by the royals. On the one hand, the stateliness of the birds represented the royal family, but another reason it was reserved for nobles was that most people couldn't afford to participate. Not only were the birds expensive, but training them could cost a fortune, and there were supplies that were needed as well that would have been beyond the reach of most people. One bird that was reserved for sovereigns was the eagle, but no other restrictions were placed upon bird species. Like hunting, tournaments were social as well as physical exercises. Jousting and archery tournaments were places to show off not just skills and physical fitness, but also fine clothing, armor, weapons, and animals. Jousting consisted of two knights on horseback running at each other with a lance and trying to knock each other off their horses. It was a very dangerous game. Henry VIII himself near, was nearly killed in a jousting tournament, and the sore on his leg that made the later years of his life so miserable was from an, out, an old jousting injury. For those whose exercise wasn't a prelude to battle, life was often one strength training workout after another anyway. All of the hard work of farming and running a home meant that exercise was a luxury for upper classes, as the middle and lower classes needed to work hard just to survive. One of the unique aspects of the Renaissance that we will touch on in this series is that it saw the rise of a middle class that had leisure time. With the growth of cities, there was a merchant and professional class of people that hadn't really existed before and had a bit of time, and particularly energy, for fun in the evenings. Games such as early forms of bowling and tennis were played. Children and adults played with balls made of animal bladders, cloth, and wood. Hobby horses, dolls, toy soldiers made from clay and wood, and small wooden play swords were also known to exist at this time for children. Games did exist in the medieval period and renaissance, but tended to be more like today's parlor games. There were board games as far back as ancient Egypt. There is historical evidence that forms of backgammon, cribbage, chess, and checkers did exist during the Middle Ages. Chess itself dates from the 7th century in India, and would have made its way across Europe by the 16th century. There were also dice made of stone and wood. Card games were introduced into Europe during the Renaissance and became popular with all classes. Compared to dicing, cards were quite new. People in England began to play in the 1400s, the 15th century. We believe this because no 14th century works mention playing cards at all. And by Tudor times, various games had been invented. These games brought out the inner gambler and many royals especially. Late in Henry VII's reign, Parliament passed a law prohibiting servants and apprentices from gambling, namely dicing and playing cards. It was believed that gambling led to idleness and crime, though only in the lower classes. Of course, many noblemen wagered, and lost, large sums, including the Tudor kings. Henry VII was well known for his love of gambling, 
a pastime at odds with his image as a miserly king. Today we can look at the carefully maintained privy purse accounts to see the amounts Tudor royalty lost at cards. Henry VIII was particularly bad at the game Primero, a card game of the time. Other outdoor activities included prisoner's base, which was a form of tag. In his journal, Henry VIII's son, Prince Edward, mentions that he won the game once, but it was actually outlawed near any royal palace because one game was so popular during the time of King Edward III in the mid-14th century that players clogged the streets leading to Westminster Palace and created such congestion that the king prohibited the game near the palace. There was also an early form of tennis, played mostly by the nobility. Henry VIII played it more than his father, particularly at Windsor. Tennis was not played outside as it is now. In Tudor times, it was on a covered court. These courts were very expensive to build and maintain, which meant that only the nobles could play. Henry VIII spent a lot of money building courts at all his palaces, especially Hampton Court and Whitehall. And soccer slash football was played in the 16th century, though it wasn't as regulated as it is today. It was played by common men on the fields outside the cities. Eventually, they would often make their way onto city streets, a drunken and raucous crowd. One commentator, Thomas Elliot, called it nothing but beastly fury and extreme violence. But it was not as violent as cudgel play. This was played by two opponents who held long sticks, the object was to draw the first blood from your opponent's head. Under Henry VIII, archery became increasingly popular. The young king was known as the best archer in England. Henry VIII wanted to share his love of archery with all his countrymen, so he decreed that every male subject must keep a longbow in his home. Fathers were also required to teach their sons to shoot properly. In this respect, Henry followed his own advice. His son Edward was a good archer as well. So there were many different ways that people amused themselves, both indoors and outside, even without TV, PlayStations, the Internet, and all of our forms of entertainment that we have today. Next week, I will go back in the history and lineage of the Tudors and discuss how Henry VII was able to claim victory at Bosworth Field and start the dynasty that would see England become a superpower in the world, and the Tudors become a family of strong leaders that led England to much more peace and prosperity. Thank you for joining me this week. You can learn more or email me at the blog, which is http colon slash slash englandcast.blogspot.com, and you can now subscribe via iTunes. So tell all your friends who are Renaissance fans, and please email me any subjects that you'd like to see covered in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 